0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded podcast, the companion podcast to DigitallyDownloaded.net. I'm the editor-in-chief, Matt, and with me this week, we've got two of our regular faces. We have Harvard. Hello, Harvard. Welcome back. Morning, everyone. And we've got Trent. Hello, Trent. Thanks for being on again.
1: Yes, no, that's all right. It's also morning here. It boys. is, it is long morning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is very early in the morning. We get up nice and early to get this podcast done for you all, and we've got nothing else to do at this time of morning. Anyway, um, okay, so we've had a pretty good week for news this week, given that it is towards the end of the year and you would normally expect news to drop away, but there's been some pretty good bits and pieces that have come out. For me, the highlight of the week has been the uh the trailer for Detective Pikachu. Um now I know that trailer has proved controversial with a number of people out there because all the Pokémon are fluffy, and I think people seem to have a problem with the Pokémon being fluffy. But um, it's yeah, I typically
1: Jigglypuff, I think. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Jigglypuff looks a little bit funny, but that's part, that's kind of the point, isn't it? This game, this this game, this movie is obviously going to be very light-hearted comedy and stuff. And um, yeah, I was really I came away from the trailer really looking forward to the film. Frankly, I thought it was great. Um, the only challenge I have, I guess, is hearing Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu and not immediately thinking Deadpool. Now, I'd, I'd be pretty for um, Deadpool being Pikachu, but that would be a different tone of film entirely. But anyway, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. I don't know what you guys thought about it, but I liked it. That's for sure. And silence. Looks like nobody thought anything about it. I don't know. Everything about it. it, it just... So, um,
2: well, in that case, uh, Harvard, what's your news of the week? Jumping with two things, actually, because I just spotted something on, on my Twitter as well. So one thing is, I'm not a huge fan of Final Fantasy XIV, but I know you are, Matt, right? Um, could, yes. I see that they're, they're adding uh, effectively a Blue Mage class to that game, which that Blue Mage be. has always been my favorite class in Final Fantasy, so that's that sounds pretty cool that they're doing that. Yeah, that's a pretty neat thing. I don't know how they'll actually make that work, to be
0: honest, because Blue Mage was all about learning the abilities of other enemies after being attacked and stuff. And, um, yeah, there's so many enemies in Final Fantasy XIV, I'm not quite <laughs> sure how that's actually going to work, if it's even going to be manageable. Um, I assume it'll be a limited selection of abilities, and you have to hunt out certain enemies to get it. But, yeah, that's a pretty cool feature. I like that. And I hope the costumes are cool because Blue Mages were – they always had the coolest costumes, let's face
2: it. Yeah, they always have, like, the feather and the hat and everything. I always imagine them as a kind of, like, crocodile hunter go around the world, like, purposely get bitten by everything so that they, like, <laughs> have powerful resistances and stuff. Yeah. It's always a good story. Yeah. And, and my other thing is just a small thing, um, they've updated the NES games on Nintendo Switch now, so they've added um, Mighty Bomb Jack and Metroid and, and Twinbee and um twinby was actually one of my fate first launched the the 3ds and that was like one of the seven games that you could buy on the eShop. i played like the heck out of twinby so i'm happy that they brought it back
0: <laughs> yeah that was the the 3d remake of twinby wasn't it um i remember yeah, that yeah. i played that a lot as well uh yeah that's a pretty good uh, update by the NES standards um of that service i i, I still think that it's not the greatest thing. sting <laughs> For their subscription service, but you know, if they keep adding three games per month um, for a couple of more months, and then look at perhaps adding on another console to the service, a Super NES or a Game Boy or something, that would be good. But yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of people get a kick out of playing through Metroid again, and Twin B is great. I agree, Twin B is so much fun, uh, and I'm not even usually a fan of that genre, which is the scrolling shooter. But uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Twin B. Uh, and Trent, what about you? What's your news for the week?
1: Acquisitions. There's always fun acquisitions. And this week it's uh, THQ Nordic buying more stuff. <laughs> um, this time it's, uh, what is it? Bugbear Entertainment and uh, Coffee Stain Studios.
0: Yes, yes. Big yeah. news for THQ yet again. Um, it was funny. I saw a, a report. They've actually also recently released their financial results, and their revenue was up something like 1,400% um for the year which is which is a huge number to be sure but uh, of course that's um revenue is a little bit different to profitability and revenue just means basically raw numbers and of course their numbers would be up because they've bought so much stuff over the past year but yeah that certainly shows how much of a growing company thq nordic is
1: well they're also pretty quick at getting the games like especially legacy stuff out onto new consoles and stuff like um d blob came out pretty quick once they got that like
0: yep absolutely um they have been very good at pushing out stuff once they've got it i mean they've got a lot of stuff that they haven't pushed out yet they haven't done a re-release of um time splitters 2 like they keep like we're all looking forward to since they bought that property up but um <laughs> yeah they've been really good at getting stuff out at a pretty consistent rate they've got um darksiders 3 coming out what within a week now which is uh really exciting Uh, and Coffee Stain Studios is a good purchase for them. Firstly, uh, Coffee Stain Studios is also a publisher, uh, and it's their first publisher, I believe, that has a direct presence in Finland, which I think they identified as being like a major market for them going forwards, Um, and Coffee Stain Studios also has a couple of pretty good properties. I think probably the most famous one is Goat Simulator, which was a lot of nonsense but sold really well. Uh, And then what was the other one? Bugbear Studios does a lot of destruction derby-like games, don't they? Um,
1: Yeah, Wreck First and Flat Out.
0: Yeah, those two. So that's a good buy. I mean, you can always assume that those kinds of games are going to find an audience and uh, adds to, I guess, the racing game development credibility and credentials of um, the broader THQ Nordic group. So I certainly wouldn't want to be standing here and saying, or questioning their purchases, um, they obviously know what they're doing, and uh, they're going to be a pretty major publisher very soon, I think. And on that note, let's go to some Hatsune Miku music, and then come back and get into the podcast in full. The Hatsune Miku track, I think Harvard has a particular request, and we'll play that one. What was the song, Harvard? Oh yeah,
2: Double Gangster. Double There you go. It was, um, the only, it was the only song that they. I finish on extreme on back in the video games yes so to play it on extreme in hatsune games you basically had to
0: have played the single track for like seven hundred thousand hours just to get good enough to do it (laughs) so that's how uh, addictive this song is um have a listen enjoy and we'll be back soon「
2: 存在です
0: And it's that time of year again, uh, the game awards have been announced or they've been opened up and people are busily going along and voting for their favourite games of the year and the ones that they want to see win the awards. And more generally speaking, I guess it's that time of year in the sense of people are looking back over the year and, and figuring out what their favourite games of the year were and... Uh, We'll be seeing plenty of other Game of the Year awards, not quite as big or as um, formal or as official, I guess, as the Game Awards. But uh, yeah, we've got plenty to come. And DDNet does its own one as well, so we'll talk about that a bit later on. But I guess we talk about the Game Awards every year. Uh, Harvard, what are your thoughts on it this year? We might have lost Harvard a little bit there. Trent, what are your thoughts of it this year?
1: All right. Well, basically it's doing the usual four uh, games for every single category. So that's great. <laughs> um, what was it? Red Dead Redemption, um, Spider-Man, um, Assassin's Creed, and I'm going to say, what's, what would be the fourth one? But basically it's the same four games as pretty much every single category, which is pretty... Not God really of War. Like, yeah, it's not really diverse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, they've renamed their trending game a category to um, Rising... Uh, not Rising, like, um, some sort... Of, basically the same word. And it's got basically the same horrible YouTubers which, you know, have been in the news for basically being, you know, Nazis or whatever the latest thing is these days. And basically it's a category which you just should go away because there's a stain on the game
0: awards yeah i mean i guess they keep adding new the, the awards they keep adding seem to be going to these kind of um esports influencer or streamer types and uh, none of that i find particularly interesting either um and you're right uh, the the kind of the the same four games keep popping up throughout the awards i guess the thing is that i find frustrating with the the game awards is that it's basically like if hollywood were to do with its academy awards uh basically the Marvel films every year and it was all the Marvel films went in or whatever the biggest blockbuster of that year was and there wasn't really a look in for anything else and I find that a little bit frustrating because while the blockbusters certainly get a very good look in with the Academy Awards, uh, the Ho- Hollywood at least attempts to acknowledge that other films also exist and uh, it doesn't have to be a film with a massive budget to have the production values that will get its, you know, uh, awards for art direction or whatever. I mean, last year at the Academy Awards or this year at the Academy Awards, um, Guillemara de Toro's, uh, weird, um, fish romance, uh, film got a whole bunch of awards and it was certainly not the blockbuster of the year. Um, and it would be nice if the, um, if the game awards could start to acknowledge that kind of thing as well. And, there's just one category in the entire thing that really pushes that message. And that's, what do they call it? Uh, games for for change,
1: games for impact.
0: No, games for impact, games for change Mm -hmm. is an actual, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Games, games Mm -hmm. for impact. That's the one. And I always get very confused about the existence of this category. I mean, if, if a game is not going to have impact on you, what, what right does it have to win any award? (laughs) Um, you know, impact every, every kind of award-winning, game should have impact otherwise it's just brainless entertainment if you ask me so um
1: thing as well is games like spider-man like when they came out the biggest thing is everyone was like this is the same game we've been playing every single time and yet it's nominated for multiple categories yes it's a technical marvel and (laughs) yes you know ah, (laughs) well done (laughs) well done trent
0: that was great you were just you're just hanging on that one i could see that
1: but it's it's basically like You know, there was so much criticism about, you know, structurally and, you know, based around, you know, how the game works mechanically. It just isn't breaking boundaries. It's the same game we've been playing over and over again. And yet it's up for all these awards just because it's the first Spider-Man game in ages. Like,
0: Well, I mean, Spider-Man did a couple of things well. It did the web-slinging thing well and it did the whole uh, Marvel atmosphere well it it certainly presented itself like a marvel film uh even with stan lee's little cameo rest in peace stan um but you're right it once you got past that kind of stuff it was a very safe open world blockbuster game and that for me shouldn't qualify it for awards um i think the games that do get awards each year should be the games that try and do something different try and push boundaries uh, sat, tell a different story try to engage people more on an intellectual level I guess um, because that's where the games industry will, will push forwards um, but it's not to be unfortunately we've got Harvard back
2: uh, Harvard, what are your thoughts on the game awards uh, yeah I'm looking at the categories that I think we as a site maybe our listeners might be more interested in it as well and so I'm really interested in best indie because it's always so hard to do awards for indie games because they're all so different and it's so hard to say like there's one that stands out. And especially this year, you got things like Celeste, Into the Breach, Return of the Albert Dim, The Messenger, like they're all really, really good games. And um, Dead Cells didn't want to snub Dead Cells. Um and as, hopefully this will see that they all get recognition because I think hopefully the people who are playing only Spider-Man, only, like, they want to see what the best blockbuster was. They'll also look at the best indie category and the best mobile category and see stuff like Florence and see stuff like Donut County, which will hopefully win over Fortnite. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's still stuff in there that I feel like is valuable.
0: Yeah, and that's another point. Um, I've never understood why having an indie category should be a thing because uh, while indie games might not have the AAA production values of the Spider-Man or whatever, uh, in other areas, they certainly do an every bit as good job as those. I mean, Oberdin, for example, which is nominated for the indie category, could easily get nominated for everything from art direction because it is so striking and so different and so original. It could get nominated for narrative. Um, it's certainly more interesting and more intriguing as a narrative than I don't know whatever Red Dead or whatever got nominated for the actual category.
2: So well, actually, Oberdin is nominated for arts um, art direction, but it is good. Don't yeah. think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna win. It's up against like Odyssey, God of War, and Red Dead Redemption, which look well, the same, but also there's open world. So I mean, yeah. those. Uh,
0: it, the the other thing I guess with the Game Awards is that it is a community voted thing, and um, something like Obridian because it is distinctive and, and unique it, is always going to put some people off, and they'll see them say, "Ooh, it's black and white pixels. It's like a Game Boy game," and they'll give the award to something else. Mm-hmm. But at least it got nominated. You're right. That's a good thing. Yeah. I didn't notice that. But I guess my point was that I, I don't think the indie category should exist at all. I think indies should be judged on their merits uh, against the uh, triple A's. And I think people just need to rebalance what they think of triple A's and not just see budget and then assume it's better. Um Because it's not. It's definitely not. I mean, the missing is a, a better narrative than pretty much anything else out there (laughs) this year. And um, it's certainly visually it's striking as well. And it's uh, games for impact. I mean, if if you're going to keep that category in terms of games for impact, the missing certainly has an impact while you're playing it Um, and uh, yeah. But anyway, um, that's a good segue into, I guess, suggesting that everybody look forward to the digitally downloaded awards, which we also are in the process of voting uh, and organizing right now. Um, it's not a public vote awards, I guess. we discuss these things within the team and have our own internal voting process to come up with the ones that we think uh, are the best games of the year. But certainly in terms of how we think about what games should get awarded, um, we try to compare everything on a level playing field rather than have a games for impact category. Um, Our separate but different category is um, a blockbuster (laughs) games category. We kind of stick all the stuff that's not going to win any of your other awards in there. And um, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're definitely keen on hearing what people think about that once it starts. I think we'll start revealing the winners in the last week of November. So not too long to wait now. And uh, well, on that note, we'll go to some music. What's some good music from something that got an award nomination? Let's go with Octopath Traveler because I'm hoping that gets some awards. It's only up for one category, isn't it? Or two. JRPG, JRPG, and art direction. Yeah, so it's up for two awards. I hope it gets both of them. It won't because <laughs> I remember Octopath Traveler getting all kinds of criticism when it was released because it was like a sprite-based game, and all the gamers were like, "Oh, this is so simple. This is a Super Nintendo game. It can't be good graphics, and it shouldn't be full price." So I'm pretty sure it won't get visual uh, direction, but it deserves it because it's uh, it's gorgeous. But anyway, uh, putting aside the discussion about the graphics, uh, the music is great soundtrack is absolutely amazing and we'll pick a song from that and we'll come back and we'll talk about something else. And welcome back everybody. So let's talk about Sony, our favorite company in the whole wide world. Um, Sony had a big bit of news this week that was really buried as much as possible because I don't think um, E3 wanted anybody to know. <laughs> but uh, Sony is skipping E3 entirely. Um, and yeah, this, this was announced in a e3 release that was yeah uh, the news was really buried down the very bottom but it got out and then everybody started talking about it and then sony started making statements and it grew and grew and grew and grew from there but and now it's been a very big discussion point for the week um and when we say that sony is skipping e3 entirely we don't mean like nintendo does and doing a show of a, a um a streaming show and then having a floor presence at At E3 itself. Sony is not having a floor presence at E3, it's not doing a show, it's not having anything to do with E3 whatsoever. So um, first up, I think we can all agree that is a big blow to E3.
2: A huge blow to E3. (laughs) It's so funny that everyone's been saying that because I remember when, I think it was like the Wii U era when Nintendo was like, we're not going to do a floor show and everyone was like oh, Nintendo is dead and now Sony has pulled out of the whole thing and everyone's like oh e3 is dead so (laughs) yeah priorities
0: (laughs) yeah well i mean sony is the biggest game company out there at the moment um and for it to pull out of e3 completely is definitely a hit because e3 positions itself as the place to go to find out about what's coming for the next year and without sony that's um that's one third of the console manufacturers that will not be showing anything at the show and will not be giving people their bits of news. Mm. Um, and it will result in less articles being written because all the Sony focused websites will not be writing 70,000 impression articles on what they saw at the show and all that kind of stuff. So, um, for a, event of the size of e3 the number of articles that get written is actually a critical metric in determining the success of the event and how much they can charge their publishers and whatever for the next year so they're going to get less articles and that's going to really hurt them financially Mm -hmm. um and it hurts the perception in the industry as well because now all of a sudden it isn't the place to go where stuff is getting announced when it was just nintendo doing it then it was just nintendo being nintendo but now sony also is skipping and you gotta and like last year um e3 Sorry, EA did its show away from E3. Um, <clears throat> so it wasn't giving E3 any money. And again, it was something that was very noticed. So yeah, E3 is definitely a an event that's, I wouldn't say dead, but it's, it, it's an event that needs to redefine what it's about because it won't be able to get away with being the news source uh, event anymore because they're all taking it on themselves and they know they can get the reach by streaming it out and all that kind of stuff so why would you spend million dollars or whatever for the stage at e3 when you can just do it yourself well um, totally yeah.
1: E3 definitely shifted when there was a period of time when there was like more everyone could go sort of thing i don't know if that's still a thing for e3 but <clears throat> when when it became everyone can be at e3 it's suddenly like the tone of e3 definitely shifted and the presentations definitely changed and i think it was around then that uh, the sort of like e3's going down sort of like sort, sort of started because that was around the time i think they changed there was an issue with like the convention center one year i don't know like e3 is always like full of drama <laughs>
0: Well, last year was the first year they opened the doors to anybody in the public, uh, and you could get public tickets. In theory, E3 before that was for media and industry only. Um, I mean, it didn't quite work out that way because people got tickets through knowing people in the industry or pretending they were media or whatever. Um, there was, there was a lot of people that were basically consumers there already, but officially the doors opened to consumers last year. And that seemed to be E3 trying to be a bit more like PAX um, and be a little bit more consumer facing and stuff. And that meant that the industry value of that event declined rapidly because you're not going to have serious conversations about your business. When there's a bunch of people in lollipop chainsaw costume, cosplay walking around as well. Um, so the industry conversations move to GDC and Gamescom, I think, is also another one where a lot of industry stuff happens now in Germany and the consumer facing stuff. I mean, E3 just can't compete with the likes of PAX, for the reputation it has with consumers. So it, again, it finds itself in that really kind of difficult spot in the middle where it just doesn't know what it, I don't think E3 really knows what it can do in the future uh, and what it needs to be to remain relevant. Um, because the thing it was relevant for was the marketing and the announcements. And that stuff has kind of been taken away from it by streaming.
1: But it'll be interesting to see if Sony skipping E3, not because they're going to do their own show next year, but because they literally have nothing to show. Like it's very close to new consoles. Like everyone's expecting 2020 new consoles. So is it, we have nothing for 2019 sort of thing? Like, what it just seems very like, yes, they're skipping E3, but what how's their presence going to be for next year?
0: Well, that's my bet. My bet is that Sony just doesn't have anything. <laughs> um, they have days so, gone, Matt, days gone, <laughs> and they have Ghosts of Tsushima, <laughs> uh, my favorite game in the whole world. I can already tell. Um, but yeah, Sony doesn't have that much, uh, in terms of new stuff to announce because, like you say, Trent. The PlayStation 5 is coming, the industry pundits and the talk under, uh, off record and underground is that it's coming 2020. Um, and that would mean that Sony needs to announce it yet next year. And quite possibly the reason that it's not doing E3 is because it won't have that announcement ready for E3 and or it's going to do its own show where it doesn't have to compete for noise with Microsoft and Nintendo. Um, It makes sense that Sony would want to really reveal the PlayStation 4 on its own terms and its own time. And sorry, PlayStation 5 on its own terms and own time. Um, And in the meantime, it would be likely that the games that it's already announced, which are Ghost of Tsushima, Days Gone, The Last of Us 2, and Death Stranding, those are kind of the last games that it will produce for the PlayStation 4. Uh, the last major ones, anyway. It's not going to have a new announcement for a major PlayStation 4 game this late in the game. Um, all of the development studios that aren't working on PlayStation 4 games would have moved to the PlayStation 5 now, and they'd be working on that, uh, getting the launch stuff ready and uh, the early, early year, the first year stuff ready. So... Sony probably doesn't have that much to show and rather than lose E3 in this critical juncture um, because it wants to have a good run into the PlayStation 5, it's obviously made the decision to pull the plug entirely, which is um, fine, (laughs) I guess, Uh, I I really don't care. it doesn't matter to me that Sony's not at E3 because I'm not that invested in E3 anymore these days anyway. Because all the good stuff gets announced at other times, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm just not yeah. even
1: sure what we're going to see at all from E3. Like a lot of the stuff this year was announcements for like like the new Elder Scrolls. It's just like, oh yeah, that's that's next gen. Like it's like they're all really far ahead games. I I just don't see what we'll see next year. Like it's expected the switch will get a revision but and animal crossing is expected to be some point next year but that's nintendo it's not going to be made like of course there's going to be surprises but like there just doesn't seem to be a real plan and microsoft's just picking up studios at the moment they're in a growth stage they're not you know revealing games have been working on because they're collecting studios and saying well we're getting ready to start you know revving up for next gen that's what they're doing so
0: well i mean microsoft has to have a xbox 2 or whatever they're going to call it they have to have that come out around the same time as playstation 5 i mean that's you know that you can't the, those two companies sony and microsoft can't be seen to be behind in tech <laughs> to the other one so If Sony reveals its hand and has a PlayStation 5 coming for 2020 at the latest, early 2021 would be the next Microsoft. Um, So they'd be doing much the same thing. All those studios that they're buying, uh, like you say, Trent, they'll be all working on Xbox 2 games. Um, So yeah, it's going to be a quiet year. And that always happens the year before a new console generation. There's always a, it's always a quiet year in terms of releases. There's not too much, especially in terms of new, uh, innovation, new IP, new development going on. So it's going to be a quiet year next year. I think that's probably the key takeaway from Sony's decision to pull out the E3. It's going to be a quiet year, which is okay. I still have games from last year that I need to play being the hell year that that was for game releases. So, yeah on that note let's go to some music and we will come back and what do you reckon let's talk about pokemon afterwards because pokemon is great sure have we lost harvard again no i'm here (laughs) what you're just wanting that is probably the most magnificent magnificent segue into music that we've ever had (laughs) um yes harvard's still here which is great and what music are we going to do i don't know let's do some interesting music um from
2: Tsushima soundtrack.
0: No, we're not doing Ghost of Tsushima <laughs> soundtrack. Let's do some music from Pokemon to get everybody in the mood for Pokemon conversation. Gift soundtrack. No, it's going to be Pokemon Blue. <laughs> And welcome back. So Pokemon, Pokemon, there's a new Pokemon game out. It was released, what, Friday, yesterday when we're recording this. And um, yeah, it's really, really good fun. I've been playing it. I've got a review app on digitallydownloaded.net just to plug the site. Don't forget to read it. Um, But yeah, it's this one's been a controversial Pokemon release. I think it's safe to say Um, people I guess we're hoping that the first Nintendo Switch Pokémon game would be a little bit more traditional, but this one is actually more of a, a melding of a traditional Pokémon game. In fact, it's kind of a remake of such of sorts of the very first Pokémon, um, Pokémon Blue, Red, Yellow. Uh, so it's a bit of a remake of that, mixed with um, Pokémon Let's uh, Sorry, Pokémon Go mechanics from the mobile game, and it's those po- Pokémon Go mechanics that seem to be pissing people off but I would suggest that if you play the game you realize that it actually works and it's a very enjoyable little game and a good first outing for the franchise on the switch I don't know Trent you've been playing it what are your thoughts
1: yeah so I think there's definitely a um two different markets for Pokemon let's go like there's the traditional fans which are like oh it's not the same and you know they're definitely up in arms about the mechanics but, you know, I'm reading, like, for the Facebook post for, like, the community Pokemon Go areas, and they're, like, oh, you know, they're so excited for Let's Go. Like, it's, like, oh, this is, you know, this is, like, sort of, you know, our first, you know, console game. This is our, like, first, you know, um, console Pokemon game. Like, all, all this sort of, like, it's definitely leading people into it um, We have been playing Pokemon Go, and suddenly they're playing this, like, it's a middle of the road between a Pokemon Go game and... A full-on, um, you know, mainline Pokemon game. So hopefully, in theory, in terms of the whole purpose of releasing, I guess, a game like this is that they're going to be like, okay, well, you know, come the full game, like, well, not the full game, but come next generation, the eighth generation, they're going to be like, well, I've played, you know, let's go. It's got, you know, half the mechanics. It's taught me about this. I'm, you know, used to this style of stuff now. The gyms, that sort of thing and then they pick up the ape gen like it's going to introduce so many new people to the game and it's not that bad of a game like it's actually good and i'm finding i'm actually enjoying it because of all the little small details i'm seeing like you know yes it's kanto again but there's just so many little tiny details in the visuals um in the audio that sort of thing where you're like oh like for example um when you know you're collecting the Pokemon in the field, you know, at the start in Pallet Town and you're talking to, you know, Professor Oak, um, it's sort of, the camera sort of pans in such a way you can actually see the poker center in the distance. And um, there's another segment um, when, you know, um, cause obviously this one has like team rocket and stuff in, in it as well. Um, and when you're in Mount Moon, um, before you enter Mount Moon, there's like Meowth sitting on top of the cave entrance, like just little small details like that. Um, the game is just fit, feel, filled of, and it sort of like re um, introduces you to the world if you've already played um, the Kanto games in a unique way. And because it's more slower and, you know, it's not really a, you know, you must level up, you know, you must grind, you must do this, um, it's you know you can take your time with the game and you can see all these little details
0: yeah i mean it's so for people who haven't really been following along with it um it is basically like i said at the start it's a remake of pokemon blue red and yellow so the very first first pokemon games that came out and it's a pretty close remake to those um it follows the the exact same structure it has the same battles and the same placement of uh, characters and whatever the thing that's different is that there aren't any random battles anymore so people who haven't played pokemon before at all uh when you're wandering around in through patches of grass you'll come across uh Pokemon, wild wild Pokemon, and you can catch them by battling them and all that kind of stuff. And this one gets rid of that. Instead, uh, it has the Pokemon Go mechanic from the mobile, where if you run into a wild Pokemon in the grass, you just simply need to toss Pokeballs at it, basically, until you, you catch it. So it's a very streamlined Pokemon game, and the the, the battles with the gyms and whatnot, and whatnot are all exactly the same as they were with other Pokemon games. So you still get that battling aspect, a traditional Pokemon battling aspect, but you just have it without the random battles with wild Pokemon to catch new Pokemon. So the game moves much faster as a result. And it is a very good introduction to Pokemon, a more traditional style Pokemon for people who have picked up the mobile game and really loved it, but never really had a go with the console games. And like Trent said, that makes it a pretty good introduction to a more mainstream or main line Pokemon game for when Nintendo releases a proper one as such uh, on the Switch, which is probably what next year I think people are predicting. So yeah, it's, it's really impressive. I didn't enjoy it for the first couple of hours myself because I can't stand the Pokemon Go um, catching game i can't stand it i the the reason i gave up with the mobile game was because i just got sick of wandering around throwing throwing pokeballs and uh, at pokemon and that was basically as far as the interactivity of that mobile game goes so um yeah I i wasn't a fan of the fact that i had to do that with the switch one but once you get past the first couple of hours and you start getting into the constant battling with other trainers and stuff um it becomes much, it makes much more sense, I guess. And uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it, as I mentioned uh, in my review. I know you haven't played it at all, Harvard. Um, is it something you are going to pick up?
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's a toss-up for me because I I grew up with Pokemon. Um, Pokemon came out in the year I was born. So next year will be his 25th anniversary. It'll be my 25th anniversary. Um, and I stopped at, I think, like Black and White. Because I was waiting for Grey and then Black and White 2 happened and I was like you know what I'm out I'm done and so I don't know if I want to get back into it but would you say that <laughs> would okay. you say that this doesn't want. feel like a <laughs> Does it feel like this is a real mainline game or is it like just the same as we've had before
0: it'll feel nostalgic to you um for having played I mean I assume you have played the original Blue Red and... yeah I have and yeah. so It'll feel pretty nostalgic for you from that perspective because it is such a close um, remaster, remake of those games and you'll probably find it moves better than other Pokemon games. I mean, the thing that I found frustrating with more recent Pokemon games is they're so bloated. They are so overdone with so many different things that you can do from stupid little dress-up games for your Pokemon to all these ridiculous mini games that keep finding their way into the Pokemon titles. The thing I really liked about Pokemon Let's Go is that as a remake of the original one, there isn't too many of those mini game nonsense things going on and it's pretty much just a move from town to town, collect pokemon, battle pokemon, um move to next town, you know, find some new pokemon, play play around with different combinations but it's (laughs) it's it's very it's very streamlined it's very clean it's very neat and it's not so demanding of your time because it's not so bloated and Mm. i I really like that and i think for somebody like yourself who's a lapsed pokemon fan i think this is the perfect way to see if there's still some interest there for you uh
2: in the series
0: and if you do then you can look forward to the next generation one
2: as a remake of the first game, does it feel a bit small? Because I remember when I was playing the Kanto the games, um, the world is definitely not as big or as deep as some of the newer ones.
0: It feels small, but again, that's kind of the streamlining of it. And that's the beauty of the game. It's still, you know, you're not going to finish it in five hours, I think. I still actually, to be honest, I wrote the review without entirely finishing it. I know that makes me a terrible critic and all that. Um, but I played for 25 hours and I still haven't finished the game. Uh, so it's not short. <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely a JRPG in terms of its length. But um, it certainly feels more streamlined and, and you certainly, it, it, the world is not as big. And that's a, I think that's a good thing, actually. Um Again, because I think Pokemon's become way too bloated, and I think it needed a back-to-basics as such, uh, a reset. And I think this is that game.
1: Plus, it complements the uh, mechanics really well. Like, you, you wouldn't really want um, something as big and detailed as vanure, you, you know, bloated, you know, to use your word, um, games. You know, whereas, you know, Kanto is just so perfect at being, you know, here's, this, you know, a nice little small map, you know, you go from point A to point B. know if you're familiar with the games you know where you need to go and if you um if you're not familiar with the games it's actually quite linear in terms of where it puts the blocks where you know where sort of guides you so it's a perfect sort of game to complement those mechanics where you're just flicking the pokeball and battling
0: so yeah to answer your question harvard um it's limited it, it's it's smaller it's smaller and it's uh more limited in terms of uh scale and and stuff to do within it
2: yeah i think i'm only on the other side because i like that bloated you can do everything <laughs> kind of attitude and i especially like um i actually played uh the the generation 3 Remix, and i like the way they approach it where you have like the main story where you go defeat the the pokemon league and that takes about 15 20 hours And then when you're done with that, they dump like a whole truckload of extra content on you and just like, okay, I can stay here for a while. Um, I like that kind of design attitude. So I'm not sure if Let's Go has the same philosophy behind it, but it does sound interesting from what I'm hearing.
0: Well, you, I mean, there's still heaps that you can do to go beyond what's in the basic plot because there is still that whole training and leveling up side of things. Um, because it's so easy to catch Pokemon, uh, because it's the Pokemon Go um, formula, you end up with a lot of copies of the same Pokemon and whatever, uh, and you can trade those in with uh, Professor Oak, the in-game Professor guy, uh, and he gives you candies, which you can use to improve the statistics of your Pokemon. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of micromanagement of the Pokemon that you can do. Um, If you're into that kind of stuff, I haven't really played with the online side of things much at all, um, because that's not for me, but there is online battling and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think again, this is, this is an introduction to Pokemon for a lot of people, I think. And I would still suggest you have a look at it, Harvard, because like you said, you're a lapsed Pokemon fan and I just wonder whether part of the reason that you're a lapsed Pokemon fan is even though you say that you enjoy the the bloat of it, maybe the commitment of those games wore um, you down over time. This one's not as high commitment and it's something you can just simply enjoy because you enjoy, you know, the Pokemon designs and playing Pokemon and mm. uh, it's not a, it's not a commitment as much. If you play this and you're still not a fan of Pokemon, then that's probably it for you. <laughs> you're probably done. <laughs> you're probably done with Pokemon. Uh, I guess is the, The best way to put it because yeah maybe you need to play some more yoko watch instead i always do this thing
2: where i buy like a bunch of games that we've mentioned like last time i bought deathmark which i haven't even started yet so maybe i'll hold (laughs) on for now
0: (laughs) yeah deathmark you should definitely play deathmark that's a good game
2: so many games from last podcast i haven't started yet
0: I had a I had a bad buying spree yesterday too, a really bad one. I was really naughty. I shouldn't have, but I did. I bought Civilization Six, <laughs> Diablo 3, and Toad because I had not bought Toad yet. Treasure Tracker or whatever it's called on Is my Civ Switch. Any good? Uh, yes, it's really good. I'm about oh, I played it till three o'clock this morning. <laughs> um, from basically when I finished up with work yesterday, so what, five to three. Almost 10 hours, 10 hours about I played straight and um, I'm hooked all over again. Civilization's crazy addictive. It works really well on the Switch. Um, there's no, I haven't had any crashes, obviously, um, because that would piss me off badly. Uh, I, I don't notice any issues with the hardware uh, or how to play it. And the interface works really well on the Switch. So it's really easy to play and. Um, yeah, other than that, it's Civilization. You can't really complain about Civilization. Highly recommend it. Also, you can play as Australia, which is good.
2: Who's the Australia leader? Uh, Curtin. Oh, cool. Deep
0: because, place. yeah, got to have, yeah. <laughs> the hero of the left in Australian politics. <laughs>
1: Surprised it's not John Howe, got to play as John Howe.
0: <laughs> nah, let's not have war criminals leading countries. Um, on that note we might go to some music and wrap things up since I mentioned Civilization 6 we'll do some music from Civilization that's actually got a good soundtrack too which is good thanks very much for being on the podcast Harvard and Trent as always and uh, we will see you next week next week